Okay. All right. I'm glad each one of you are here. If you'd open your Bibles along with me, we're in Exodus chapter 8. We're in Exodus chapter 8. You know, it's funny. I was sitting there uh, while we're singing the song that we sit down and sing, and I happened to look down at my knee, and I thought, what's that on my knees? Then I realized it was splatters of blueberry uh, juice. And it made me realize that my wife and I are getting old. You know when you're getting old and you've lived alone for 24 years and uh, you're just Nan and Pop-Pop living by yourselves by your refrigerator. I don't know if you ever knew that. Because old people, when you open the refrigerator, there are all kinds of, of bowls and Tupperware dishes with saran wrap over it with all kinds of leftovers, and saran wrap because we lost the tops to the Tupperware bowls. You know how that is. And um, so you look through there, and you're wondering, what in the world is this? And I saw this thing this morning in the front, and I thought I was back in microbiology, and it was a cultural dish. And I went to pull it out to see what it was, and blueberry juice splattered all over the refrigerator and all over me. And uh, so if I'm walking around and you see my blue knee, you know why. And also, I don't know if you noticed, some of you who are older, you understand what I'm talking about. The back of the refrigerator is like no man's land. You, you don't even know it's back there. And you start going through it and looking. And it's absolutely insane. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, it has nothing to do with the message. Just to try and explain why I have blueberry juice on my knee. Okay, we are in Exodus chapter 8. You know, one of the things we're going to notice uh, we can't help noticing as we start into this chapter, is how many of the plagues that we uh, find in Exodus that came upon the Egyptians uh, are very similar to the plagues that come on the earth uh, during the Revelation, during the last days. And uh, just as an example, if you take notes, uh, the water becoming blood is in Exodus 7:20, and in Revelation 8, 8 through 9. Frogs is in Exodus 8, 6, and uh, in Revelation 16, 13. Boils are in Exodus 9:10 and in Revelation 16:2. Hail is in Exodus 9:23 and Revelation 8:7. Locusts are in um, Exodus 10:13 and Revelation 9:3. And darkness, a darkness that can be felt, is in Exodus 10:22 and Revelation 8:12. And I think the reason you see these similarities is God is always calling His people to repentance, to follow after Him. And so when these plagues were brought upon Egypt, it was for the purpose of releasing the people of God. And when these plagues are poured out at the end of the age in what we call the revelation of Jesus Christ, that's when he's going to come back. When these plagues are poured out, once again, it's to call people to repentance and back to God. There's a reason for it. And so I find it very interesting that many of the plagues of Egypt are also plagues that we look at and we'll see in Revelation. So let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for your word, because your word alone is truth. And as we look into this portion of Scripture, I ask, Lord, that it would not only speak to our hearts, but also to our lives, that we might live a life worthy of you, that we would live a life of worship and love, not only for you, but for one another as well, Lord. And so now, Father, I pray and ask that you would come and anoint and use me to minister to and speak to these, your people, and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen, and amen. Now, one of the things that uh, Pastor Frank Jr. got into a little bit, and I'm going to mention again as well, is that when we look at the ten plagues of Egypt, 
Every one of those plagues were speaking against the false gods of Egypt. This is God's mercy. He's trying to show them that what you worship or whom you worship is God. They're really not gods. They're false. And there's only one true God. So it was a, an act of mercy. For instance, uh, turning a rod into a crocodile. And you're thinking, if you weren't here the week I taught on this, what do you mean? I thought it was a snake. Well, no, that's uh, Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments. But the word there, tani, in the Hebrew, is never translated snake. It's always translated crocodile or river monster. And uh, so when you think about, you know, Aaron throwing your rod down and turning into a cobra, that's uh, just in the movie. It really turned into a crocodile. And there is um, a reason for that because um, that is the, the it's, Sobek is the god uh, of the river. And uh, it had the body of a man and the head of a crocodile. And then you had the first plague, which is turning the Nile into blood. And that test testifies against Niles. And he was the god of eternal life. or the, Not eternal life, but the god of life, which is what they believe the Nile River represented. And then the next plague was the frogs, and it's Heket. And Heket was uh, um, actually a frog of fertility and childbirth. And Heket was um, a goddess, actually, not a god, but a goddess who had the body of a woman and had the head of a frog. And, I mean, that would have been pretty weird. You'd say, well, she has a nice figure, but you should see her head. <laughs> you know. Anyway, uh, you know what I'm saying, just a little joke there. But anyway, that is uh, the goddess. And then uh, turning the um, dust into lice, that's the goddess or the god Geb. And uh, that is the god of the earth. And now we have the flies, the plague of the flies, which actually in the Hebrew, there it's kephari is the word used there, which really doesn't mean flies, but it means beetles, which if you recall from some of your movies and some of your reading and study, the beetles were some of the ancient, were one of the ancient insects of Egypt that they actually glorified and lifted up. <clears throat> and then uh, the one we're going to be um, looking at then is the god Geb. So what we're going to be looking at is he is put down and proven to be a false god. Now, mocking the gods of Egypt was not a coincidence. It was deliberate. Because the Lord was pointing out, I am the one true God. There's no other God before me. And one of the points that I was thinking of is, as I was looking at this is when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And you know what the first commandment was? Well, I'll read it to you. It's taken from Exodus chapter 20 and verses 2 and 3. This is the first commandment that God gave Moses. I am. That's a tetragrammaton. That is Yahweh. God Almighty, I am the self-existent one. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. That's the first command of God. And it's so true today. We should have no other gods before him. And that includes ourselves. Sometimes we become our own God. The one I'm the most concerned about satisfying is me. And so we have to make sure that God is always first. It's the only way we're going to have an altruistic view of, of, of life. We have to have a love for God, you know, uh, preeminence in our life, have preeminence in our life. 
Now, we're going to find out that ten times God gives Pharaoh opportunity to change his mind. Do you understand how patient God is? And so often we think of the plagues, oh, God's so angry with the Egyptians, he's pouring these plagues out on them. Oh, he's pouring these plagues out on them so that they might know he's God. And if they would have repented, the whole nation could have been turned around and followed the Lord. We know this with Nineveh, remember? And when Jonah went into Nineveh, they were the most ungodly people you can imagine. And they ended up turning around right to the king in, in, in sackcloth and ashes and turning their hearts over to God. And so we have to realize that whenever God is bringing judgment, it is always, literally, it's backed by agapeo love. It's a self-sacrificing love, wanting people to come to the saving knowledge of, of him, that they might know the truth and be set free. And uh, one of the things we have to realize is that everything God was doing was to bring his people out of bondage. And I believe that oftentimes many of the things that are happening in our lives are to bring us out of bondage. You know, one of the things that we have to realize, if we have no concept of eternal life, if we have no concept of eternal life, it's impossible for us to have a right understanding of who God is and, and the purpose of our faith. Because here's the reality. Jesus said, in this life you shall have tribulation. And it's true. In this world we do have tribulation. He said, but be of good cheer for I've overcome the world. And so we understand as believers, this isn't the end. If, if your life ended right now, you're going to be with the Lord as a believer. Children who are under, under the age of accountability, children who you know, are not able to make that choice, are automatically with the Lord. We know that from Psalms. He holds the little lambs in his arm. But those of us that have come to that age of decision, and we have that capability, we have to choose to follow the Lord. If we choose not to follow the Lord, we forfeit, we forfeit eternal life. And understand, eternal life is it's much different than many people think. They think, well, I'm going to be floating on a cloud, you know, playing a harp and singing songs and like that. Eternal life is being in the, being in the very presence of the eternal one, God Almighty, worshiping him, loving him, and having a fellowship that we can't even imagine. If you think of the most fun thing you've ever done, the most exciting thing you've ever done in this life, it can't compare. And, and it can't even compare even a tiny bit to what we're going to have when we're with the Lord for all eternity. And it's important for us to understand that because otherwise, how do we, under, how, how do we even comprehend trials and tribulations that come our way? Because as a believer, you're not exempt from trials and tribulation. The Bible is very clear about that. In fact, I share with people very honestly, I'm, for the most part, a really happy, blessed guy. You know, I have a great wife. We've been married 47 years, going on 48, and it seems like yesterday. And, uh, you know, we have right next door my son and his wife, who've been very prolific, and they've given us uh, six grandchildren living right next door here. And as a matter of fact, talking about my refrigerator, the freezer underneath is filled with ice cream sandwiches, popsicles, and fudgies. And it's not for Vi and I. We're on a diet every other week. But anyway, uh, it's not for us. It's for our grandchildren. See, it's the enticement to have our grandchildren come over. 
And uh, everything we do has some kind of purpose. But the, the point I'm trying to get at is that even though we are very happy, very content people, life is difficult. You never know what's going to be thrown your way. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not trying to um, bring this up to invoke sympathy or anything like that. I really not, am not. But um, six weeks or seven weeks ago now, I can't remember, I had a heart attack. I had two stents put in. You know, uh, it, was, it was when they were taking me up to have the stents put in, I knew I was facing death. And it was okay because I absolutely knew I was going to be with the Lord. I had no fear at all. But the reality is that was tough. It was difficult. And all of us can um, give examples of things that have happened in our lives that have been hard, that have been difficult. But the reality is that if your focus is only on this life, you'll never have any peace because you'll be wondering, what happened to me? Why is this happening? What did I do wrong? You might not have done anything wrong. In fact, uh, Vi and I, in our private devotions, we're reading Job. And um, so, so many people, when they think about reading Job, it's like, oh, I don't want to read that book. That's horrible, all these horrible things that happened to him. But in reality, it's an awesome book because the point that's being brought out in that book is that Job did nothing wrong. Remember what God said to Satan? Have you seen my servant Job? There's none like him. He's perfect in all his ways. And so Job did nothing wrong, and yet all these disasters came his way. And his friends, so-called friends, who came to comfort him, they automatically think he was deeply involved in sin. That's why these things are happening to you. And even when Jesus was uh, healing a blind man, remember his disciples said, Who sinned? Here are his parents. And Jesus said, neither. This is so that my name might be glorified. And so we have to realize that even though we have difficulties in this life and hard times that come our way, the Lord is simply going to use them to make us stronger and draw us closer to him. Because trials and, and, and difficulties can either push you from God or draw you closer to him. And it's our choice. And the fact is, if it pushes you from God, you're going to become more and more unhappy and miserable. If it draws you to God, you're going to develop an inner strength and be able to handle all the things that come your way. Now, um, in Exodus chapter 8, and I'm picking up in verse 20, and I'm going to read first verses 20 through 24. And the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes down to the water. And remember, the, the, the Nile River was worshipped, and they would take water and pour it into the, into the Nile, and because it represented life, it was one of the ways they worshipped the, one of their false gods, the god Nile. So uh, that's why he knew he would be down there. Then say to him, Moses say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me, or else, if you will not uh, let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and on your servants, on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies, and also the ground on which they stand. And uh, in that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen. Goshen was where the Hebrews lived. 
if you recall, in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall be. And the Lord did so. Thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh, into his servants' houses, and into all the land of Egypt. And the land was corrupted because of the swarms of flies. Wow. That's pretty amazing. Now, I don't know if you ever wonder about things like this. I mean, this is the way my mind works. But have you ever wondered when... um, Moses and Aaron were standing in front of Pharaoh. Understand, Pharaoh was worshipped as a god. He was the most powerful man in the world. Egypt was the most powerful country in the world. Here you have the most powerful man in the world worshipped as a god, and here he has Aaron and Moses standing in front of him bringing all these hardships and plagues in the land. Do you ever wonder why he didn't just kill them? Have you ever wondered why, why didn't he? Every time these guys come, life gets worse for me. Off with their heads. Well, the only answer can be, the only answer we can come to is that God wouldn't allow it. We have to understand that the Lord numbers our days. And we're talking about, Vi and I, uh, going, doing a study in Job. And in Job 14.5, it says this. And Job is speaking, and I think it was to, did you know um, in, in the book of Job, you have the shortest man in the world who was mentioned? Bill Dad the shoe height. <laughs> it's actually the Shumanite. But anyway, uh, just a little joke there. But anyway, in Job 14.5, it says, In his days, since his days are determined, talking about man, all mankind, since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you. You have appointed his limits so that he cannot pass by. So in other words, the Lord has determined how long we're going to live. The Lord knows the beginning from the very, I mean, he knows the end from the very beginning. He's God. For you and I, time is a process continuing forward. For God, time is complete and finished. It's all done from God's viewpoint. And so he knows that everything that's going to take place, and yet in his love and in his sovereignty, he gives us the ability to freely choose. He knows what we're going to choose, but he gives us that ability to freely choose whatever we want to do in order to follow the Lord. And so our, our life is determined by the Lord. And uh, if the Lord spares your life, it's because he has purpose and reason for you. And we need to praise him for it. Now, as far as these swarms of flies, uh, in the original Hebrew text, flies aren't even mentioned. The word for fly isn't even there. The only thing that mentions is swarms, swarms. And so it's only talking about these swarms of insects. And uh, it's likely, as I mentioned earlier, that it's the sacred beetle of Egypt that is used here, which represents the god Kephirah. And Kephirah was the god of eternal life to the Egyptians. Now, everyone... We understand as believers that everyone will exist eternally. Did you know that? Everyone is going to exist eternally, but some to eternal death and some to eternal life. And it's our choice. Because why would anyone choose death when they can choose life? And you've heard me mention so many times that 
God gives us a choice because that's the only way love can be expressed. If you force someone to tell to tell you that and tell you know that they tell me you love me or I'll shoot you, <laughs> and the person says I love you, it means nothing <clears throat> because love has to be a choice. And so, consequently, we have choices to make in this life: either to love and follow the Lord, or to reject Him. That is our choice. And if we choose to follow God, we're going to have eternal life. If we choose not to follow him, we have eternal death. And so many people say, how could a loving, gracious God send anyone to hell or eternal death? Well, no, you chose that yourself. That was your choice. He offered you life. Here's freedom. And if you reject it, then what's the alternative? You know... One of the things that we have to understand, and it's an important point that we need to make right here, is um, the remaining plagues that we're looking at in Scripture from this point on will not affect the, the children of God, the children of Israel. It will not affect the land of Goshen. And the thing we have to realize is that in the same way, the final plagues, the tribulation, the wrath of God that's going to be poured out on this earth won't affect us. You know why? Because we're going to be in the land of heaven. Just like the children of Israel in the land of Goshen, the plagues didn't touch them. We're going to be in the land of heaven. And um, God allowed Israel to go through a few of the beginning plagues because they rebelled against Moses' ministry. Remember when he first came? Oh, why? You're making things worse for us. They rebelled against it. But for you and I as believers, we won't experience any part of God's wrath being poured out on earth. And you might think, well, that's just your theological stand. No, that's what the Bible says. I want you to turn to, and um, it's worth looking at these, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. <clears throat> now, you have to understand, First and Second Thessalonians is all about the second coming of the Lord. It's all about it. Every single chapter deals with the Lord coming back. In First and Second Thessalonians. So in First Thessalonians chapter five, let's look at verse nine. We're going to read verses nine through eleven. For God did not appoint us to what? Wrath. You know, and some people will say, Well, you have the, the tribulation and then you have the wrath. You're not going to find that in Revelation anywhere. It's all the wrath of God. When the sixth seal was is opened in the book of Revelation, it says, Now the wrath of God has come. And Everything that we experience now, people say, well, you know, there are people in other countries and Christian in other countries, Christians in other countries, they're being put to death right and left. Why should we escape? Well, the reality is what Christians are facing around the world today is awful. They deserve our prayers. We need to keep lifting them up that God would use them to evangelize all those around them. But that is the inhumanity of man towards man. The wrath of God comes down from heaven. It's God's wrath on an unbelieving world, a God-rejecting world. So there's two different, you know, two different things there. And so we have to realize that um, God will protect us as believers from going through his wrath. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, sleep means in death, we should live together with him. Listen to this. Therefore, 
Comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. Now, keep a finger in, in Thessalonians because we're, we're going to go back. But now go to Revelation chapter 3. <clears throat> and uh, God is using the apostle John as his scribe and he's writing to the seven churches of Asia. And uh, John was a captive. He was a, a political prisoner in the Isle of Patmos in the Mediterranean. And right off were seven churches in a semicircle that he's writing to. Those seven churches represent churches throughout the world through the entire church age. <clears throat> so for Revelation 3, 10 and 11. And here's what the Lord says. Because you have kept my command to persevere, listen to this, I will also keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world. This isn't localized. This is the wrath of God being poured out on the world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Now go back to 1 Thessalonians, this time chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're going to pick up in verse 16. For the Lord himself, and if in your Bible, L is capitalized, that means it's Yahweh. It's talking about the self-existent one. It's talking about Almighty God. And the H is capitalized because it's talking about God. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus... Thus, we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. <clears throat> I can't think of anything more comforting to know that as this world is falling apart, God's coming for us before his wrath is poured out. This world is awful. You know, I don't know about you, but there are some times that Vi and I are looking at the news and we have to turn it off. I, I can't bear to look at what they're showing. I mean, some of the things that are happening, you know, to children and to families, and it's awful. I, can't, I, I don't even want to look at it. This world is literally unraveling. And that's exactly what God predicted would, would happen in the last days. Now, I'm not a, a, a time setter because anyone who sets a time ends up being proven wrong. But the reality is, the Word of God tells us, it says, but you as believers, you are not in darkness that this day should overtake you as a thief in the night. You are children of the light, children of the day. So we as believers are supposed to be aware of the time period. And one of the things that's so interesting, whenever anyone asks me, you know, why do you believe prophecy in the Bible? I say Israel. What? What are you talking about? Israel. Read Ezekiel 36. God prophesied that this dead, dry bone, that's where you get the hip bones connected to the, you know, that song we used to sing. But it's, it's called the Valley of Dry Bones. And all these bones are coming back together and live and, and sinew and flesh is put on them. And it's, in fact, you know, Ezekiel's told, this is Israel becoming a nation again. Now, Israel was destroyed in 70 A.D., by Joseph, Flav, you know, Flavius, and they were scattered throughout the entire world. We all know that. There has never been a nation, a people, that have been scattered throughout the world, separated for 2,000 years, and maintained their ethnic identity. Not one. 
Not one, except the Jews. And God said they would be brought back into the land. It goes all the way back you know, to 1917 with the Belfort Decree. That's when the Jews first started coming back in. But then, after World War II, because of the Holocaust, and the United Nations, believe it or not, stood on the side of the Jews, they don't anymore, any longer, and allowed them to move back into the land. And it was actually Harry Truman, who's the first one who signed uh, recognizing Israel as a nation. Because on May 14, 1948, Israel declared themselves a nation, and every one of the countries around them came against them in war. If you want to read an interesting book, read The Battles of Israel. Because that was that the name of it, Battles of Israel, or The Wars of Israel? It's unbelievable. I mean, there were times, for instance, a whole division of tanks were coming against just a small squad of Israeli soldiers with rifles. And all of a sudden, the tanks stopped, and the men jumped out and ran away. And Billy Graham writes about this in, in uh, his book, Angels, Angels, Angels. And they interviewed some of the soldiers who were uh, captured, and they said, I mean, wh- wh- why did you stop? Why did you jump out of the, the jeeps? Because you wouldn't believe the beans we saw standing around the Israelis, and it frightened them. The only point I'm trying to get at is it was a miracle that they became a nation. But God prophesied they would. And that was May 14, 1948. And God also prophesied that when Jesus gave all of his proclamation of the last days in Matthew 24, then one of the things that he said was so interesting. And he said, this generation, talking about the generation of Jews, when they first became a nation, shall not pass until all these things have been fulfilled. So now you have the Jews coming back into the land. And this year was their 70th anniversary as a nation. We're living in the last days. I don't know the day. I don't know the hour, but I know the season. And we're living in the last days. And so there's never been more of a time that we should be concerned about not only worshiping and serving the Lord for our own sake, but for the sake of others. He's called every one of us to be evangelists. He's called every one of us to go and share the gospel with those around us. Because we have a hope that they don't. For instance, in the Gospel of Luke, if you want to turn there, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Gospel of Luke, chapter 21. Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, go to verse 36. And it says this. I love this, Matthew 21, 36. The new baby, yay, yay. Then Pharaoh called for Moses. This is Matthew uh, 25, 28. And I'm, I'm in the wrong one. I mean, Luke 21, 36. I get distracted by the... Honey, you don't have to leave. It's not going to bother us. Luke 21, 36. And it says this. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape some, most, no, all things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man when he calls us to meet him in the clouds, in the air. The Bible is very clear. 
And so we have to understand that just like God is protecting the children of Israel in the land of Goshen, he's going to protect us when all these things, and I think it's getting closer than we know. So in Exodus 8, and then picking up with verse 25, and we're going to read verses 25 through 28. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God in the land. In other words, right in the land of Egypt. And Moses said, It is not right to do so, for we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. In other words, if we sacrifice to the Lord our God the way we do, the Egyptians, if we're doing it right in the land, they would see it as an abomination. And if we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, then will they not stone us? We will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he will command us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Listen to this. Only you shall not go very far away. And then, then he says, intercede for me. Get rid of these beetles or flies or whatever they are, you know, that are overwhelming us as a people. Now, this plague, of course, the sorcerers of Egypt couldn't duplicate, nor could they rid the land of, of the flies. And so their power was shown to be useless. And Pharaoh, you understand, he's trying to compromise with God. He says, well, okay, I'll let you sacrifice, but do it right here in the land. And they said, no, well, it's an abomination. We need to go three days in the wilderness. So he says, okay, I'll let you sacrifice to the Lord your God, but don't go very far. See, he's trying to compromise with the Lord. But you want to know something, brothers and sisters? God doesn't compromise. He doesn't compromise. And um, so we have to realize that even we as believers can't expect God to compromise or think he should compromise for us. Everything God's word calls sin is sin, no matter what the political correctness of our times might be. Now, it's important. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians. And we're almost through for today. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 9 through 11 we're going to look at. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to be reading to you verses from God's word that are not politically correct today. Some people might even have a hard time with it. But the reality is it is God's word. And understand that all of God's commands that are given to us are out of love. They're for a reason. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting with verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? In other words, they're not going to heaven. Uh, do not be deceived, neither fornicators. And a fornicator is someone who has sexual relations outside of marriage. Um, nor idolaters who worship other gods, nor adulterers. Now, an adulterer is someone who has sexual relations with someone else besides their spouse. Nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And that's not very politically correct today. Well, you can't say that. Well, I'm not. This is what God's Word says. 
Well, that's hate. No, it's not. It's God's word, and and God is love. There's nothing he can be sharing with us that isn't based on love. And so we have to realize as Christians, we can't bargain with God's word. Well, that's just not, you know, I, I don't think the Lord cares if we do this today. I don't think the Lord minds if we do that today. No, this is what God's word says. And so we have to understand that God's word is laid out for our protection and is laid out because he loves us and so if we're going to obey the word of god we have to obey the word of god we can't pick and choose what it might be and um just like the lord wouldn't allow moses to budge with pharaoh no we're not going to worship here in the land we can't compromise with with god's word what he tells us to do we need to do and think about this how often is the lord showing us that we're doing something wrong, that we need to change something in our life, and, we, and, and, and we're going through, oh, okay, I will, Lord, I will, I'm going to change, I promise, Lord, I'm not going to. And then the minute things start going well again, we go right back to it. That's what Pharaoh does. You know, oh, intercede for me, please, you know, get rid of this plague. And the minute the plague's gone, he goes right back to his old ways. You follow what I'm saying? And so we have to understand Our purpose as Christians is to testify of the truth of God's word because this life isn't the end. If only for this life we had hope in Christ, we're of all men most pitiable. And our life is short. And James tells us your life is but a mist. It appears for a moment and then vanishes. But as Pastor Frank mentioned in the last service, we are body, soul, and spirit. This body is temporary. And my wife always says that when we die, we find the zipper to unzip this body and to go out of it. I have been at the bedside, being in the ministry for a lot of years, I've been at the bedside of people while they died. And when you're at the bedside of someone who doesn't believe, it's very different than when you're at the bedside of someone who does believe. It's very different. And it's because... As, a, as a, a believer, you never lose conscious awareness of your self-identity in Christ. And we know that from God's word. Remember, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, that shall he live. And he that lives and believes in me never dies. Because we have to realize our faith and our gathering together on Sunday morning isn't just some religious activity we do. is isn't some holy day of obligation. It's the way we come together and worship the Lord. You know, my being in the ministry isn't just some job. If I just wanted some job, I'd still be a high school principal. Actually, I'd be retired now. I'm making a lot more than I am. But the point I'm getting at is, is what we're doing, everything that we're doing as believers is because of the Word of God telling us there's something beyond this life. And so we have to realize that we have a responsibility to everyone around us. I mean, Moses and Aaron, in their own minds and hearts, probably were thinking every time we stand in front of Pharaoh, we're, we're putting our life right in the line. But God was with them. And so you and I as believers, every time we stand you know, before others and testify of Jesus Christ, we're putting our life on the line, not necessarily that we're going to be murdered or slain by them, but we're putting our life on the line in the fact that we might face ridicule and criticism. But you want to know something? That's okay. You know, I've had seven years now substituting in ESM High School, 
And um, there were some people when I first started substituting there that were very critical of me and were very mean to me, actually, to be honest, because they found out I was a pastor and they understood that I was a Christian. But I just kept loving them, kept doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And the next thing you know, some of these teachers that really didn't like me started warming up towards me, ended up becoming friendly to me. And so we have to realize that as believers, it doesn't mean that everyone you come in contact is going to say, oh, you're a believer. You might have people that are very distant and angry at you at first, but you stand your grounds in love. And that's another thing before we finish. I just want to say that our reaction to, uh, to unbelievers that criticize us is not to be critical of them back. Those that are mean to us, it's not to be mean back. We're supposed to repay evil with kindness, Scripture says. And the reason is, it's not about us. Jesus came to earth, you know, through the miracle of the incarnation. God became man. He lived an absolutely sinless life. He never did anything wrong. And he was beaten and he was crucified, and he was accused. He had a thorn, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, had a crown of thorns pressed into his head. He did it for one reason, because he loves us. And he never cried out. The only time he cried out on the cross, it's, it's recorded in, in the Gospels, but it's also a prophecy from Psalm 22. Read Psalm 22, you guys, when you get home. It's a, it's a whole psalm on crucifixion 600 years before it was invented by the Romans. But anyway, uh, the only time Jesus cried out is he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's the very beginning of Psalm 22. And why did Jesus cry that out? Because at that moment, he took all the sin of the world on himself. Your sin, my sin, the sins we've committed, the sins we shall commit. He took all sin upon himself. And at that moment, because all sin was upon him, God had to turn his head away because Scripture tells us God can't look at sin. And that's when he cried out, my God. My. It was the only, only, he was beaten, he was flogged, he was nailed. There's no record. In fact, Scripture says that like a sheep before its slayer is dumb, he opened not his mouth. He never even cried out until that point. But of course, that was just until he justified our sin. And then he was taken and he was buried And on the third day, he rose from the dead. And you and I have an intercessor that sits at the right hand of God making continuous intercession for our sin for no other reason than he loves us. And he's promised us that where he's going, we shall be with him also. Comfort one another with these words. You guys, how amazing is it that God would condescend to such a low point to bring us up to him in heaven for eternity. What love, what wondrous love we sing. Father, we come before you in Jesus Yeshua's name and how thankful we are for your love and for the way you minister to us through your word. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would uh, really give us such a sense of security and, and such a certitude in our heart that we would never, never lose sight of the fact that you've given us the promise of eternal life. And you've also called us to go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all things you've commanded. And then, lo, you'll be with us always to the very end of the age. 
Thank you for your word, Lord, I pray in Christ's name. Amen and amen. And God bless you, my friends.